It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Hello and welcome to Unheard News. I'm Freddie Sayers. Every day, more and more information emerges as to what the government and authorities were up to during the COVID-19 pandemic. We can't cover it all, but sometimes something comes out that is so surprising, we feel we need to spend some time on it. A report that emerged over the weekend by the think tank Big Brother Watch has detailed what certain slightly shadowy organisations within the government, things called the Rapid Response Unit, also within the Army, something called the 77th Brigade, which we'll get into, we're not spending their time worrying about things like infection fatality rates or what the truth of the COVID pandemic was. They were observing social media feeds on Facebook and Twitter, looking for dissenting opinions that might be troublesome and potentially reported up the chain to someone who might censor them. This concerning habit has now come to light and one person who's come up quite a few times in these lists is the journalist Peter Hitchens. He came out very early in the COVID pandemic as an opponent of lockdowns. In fact, we had him on this show on day 10 of the lockdown back in 2020. He joins us once again now because he finds himself on a list of people who certain organizations within the government were monitoring and reporting, and perhaps it looks like leading to censorship on social media networks. Hi, Peter. Hi. So what have we learned about your involvement in all of this? What they came up with in my case was that something called, I think, the Rapid Response Unit had, uh, had been taking a look at what I was doing and reporting it upwards to somewhere or other. Uh, other people, I think, had been, had been caught in by other mechanisms. I, I think the Cabinet Office uh, and the, um, this 77th Brigade of the Army appear to have been involved as well. Now, this in itself is quite small that the government is, is looking at what journalists are doing. But then again, why should the government be looking at what journalists are doing, particularly this kind of thing? All I was doing on the occasion when I was picked up was amplifying articles in our sister paper, the Daily Mail, about doubts about some of the COVID statistics. Now, why should the government be interested in that? To me, in some ways, the most fascinating part of the report is that it's quite clear that the government did have, as major institutions do, a better access to the internet giants than you or I might have. If I wanted to say something to, to Twitter or, or, or Facebook or YouTube, I wouldn't even know where to start. But it certainly appears as if the government were able to communicate with them. Now, 
Put that together with a couple of experiences which I had during the Great Panic, and you begin to wonder what is connected with what. And it's quite beyond doubt, for instance, that I gave an interview, several interviews, to Mike Graham of Talk Radio during the, the, the panic. And Mike was initially completely hostile to my position, and I won him round. And we had many discussions on this, which were of a dissenting nature. Uh, YouTube then would put them out, as it did uh, a lot of talk radio output. And then one of them appeared on YouTube with one minute and I think 14 seconds missing completely. And then uh, around about the same time, I did an interview with the trigonometry people, then Constantine Kirsten uh, and, and, and his companion. And we, we, we'd done one before in, in which I talked to them and it had been a great success and they'd got a very good audience out of it. And they came to me after doing this one on the, on the COVID issue and they said, it's extraordinary. And we put it out in the normal fashion and even we can't find it when we search for it on the net. And the level of interest and take up is far, far smaller than we would have expected or than should normally be the case. And it seemed to be in the, the, there had been something called shadow banning going on. Now, you probably know what this phrase means and maybe a lot of your, your, your viewers and, and readers do too. But just to explain, it's a form of, how shall I put it, very soft censorship in which nothing is actually done to prevent people from finding what you've done, but it, it just becomes difficult in a way which you can't yourself detect or see. And I think this is very strong circumstantial evidence of shadow banning in, in two cases of which I know for certain. There may be many others, I simply can't tell and don't know. And if it's the case that the government can contact organizations, the, the, the big media organizations, which are capable of doing shadow banning, we have in place a system by which a government could, and I'm going to go no further than this because I do very much prefer to stick to known facts. We have circumstances in which a government could, if it wished, arrange for the shadow banning of opinions it didn't like. Now that seems to be a complete, a complete outrage against the principles of freedom of speech in a free society, and one which we should be very worried about. The other thing about the report which the Mail on Sunday carried yesterday is that we had a, a, a whistleblower from the 77th Brigade uh, very much saying that he, had, he didn't think he'd join the army to do the sort of thing he'd been asked to do. It's well worth reading. It's in some ways the most powerful thing in, in, in the whole exposure. Uh, but it, it, it really isn't the job of government to decide what views should get most exposure, is it? Let's just lay out the components we can be confident about then. So we know that within government, there are these units. There's one called the Counter Disinformation Unit, another called the Rapid Response Unit. Uh, which sounds like kind of something out of one of those TV programs, but apparently they are real, um, and they are monitoring, I suppose, what they would call misinformation and trying to put out better information. That's how they would justify it. Um, these were the ones that came across your posts and flagged them in some way. We, we know that for sure. We know that, yeah. Uh, and then this strange army unit, let's just take a, a moment to dwell on that. So this is something called the 77th Brigade. Uh, and their mandate is apparently non-lethal engagement and legitimate non-military levers being used as a means to adapt behaviors of adversaries. Um, that has a slightly sort of nudge uh, ring to it, doesn't it? I'm not, I, I think it's, its existence has been known to, to the informed for a very long time. And I, again, in modern warfare, there is a lot of information warfare in, in any country which doesn't have uh, defences against that 
uh, is being very foolish. So I wouldn't be against the existence of such a unit if it was if it was actually working on the disruption of and the combating of disinformation by this country's enemies or potential enemies. What's wrong with that? But if it turns to internal monitoring, that's a wholly different matter. And it seems to me to be a suggestion that it has been turned that way. If it's focusing on our enemies or competitors, that'd be one thing. But com- focusing on our own population and journalists within it starts to feel a little bit uneasy. And then, as you say, there's the kind of social media side of this, which we also have very clear information about. Not only what's come out of America with what we now know happened at Twitter, but we know that shadow banning, uh, as you call it, is, is a real phenomenon. All of the major networks have the ability to do that. And certainly that was used during the COVID pandemic. Um, I almost think you're being charitable by saying that those two branches were, we don't know if they were in touch. I think probably there are on record statements by people in the government saying that we're in regular contact with the social media networks. But yes, but there's, there's always the one step further, isn't there? Being in touch is one thing. Again, you could find legitimate reasons for them being in touch, I suppose. And I, I struggle to do so, but I'm not going to say there are none. But I don't know, for instance, that, uh, that, that Mr. X or Ms. X from some government department called, for example, YouTube and said, can we please shadow ban this item? Because I don't know that. And I don't know how I, sh- how I could ever know it unless we, we, we got an amazing breakthrough in, in, in internal information. I, I do think it's very important in these things not to give ammunition to those who would like to laugh at it and say that these are just historical claims. We should be very modest in what we claim and say, nonetheless, even though what we're claiming is modest, it is extremely alarming. Governments should not be monitoring opinion. It's none of the government's business if people disagree with it. In fact, a sensible, wise government, heaven forfend that I should ever be in government. If I were, I would consider myself a complete traitor to my country if I engaged in suppressing or or in any way preventing the expression of opinions which opposed what I was doing. And I was brought up on on Milton and Areopagitica, and the, and the, the truth was never put to the worse in a fair fight. And as far as I'm concerned, you have to have fair fights and debate about policy, the more important the policy is, the more open it has to be to debate. And I think that this has been forgotten. And I traced this back in my article in the Mail on Sunday yesterday to a particular moment in our modern history, which is the New Labour Manifesto of, of, of 1997, in which, uh, in which Anthony Blair himself said, in an amazing claim in the introduction, uh, the New Labour is the political arm of the British people as a whole thereby basically saying that the, the government spoke for everybody, which also, of course, means that everybody is, uh, is, is part of the government. It's a, it's a Hobbesian arrangement whereby there isn't really any room for one of the basic principles of modern British government, which is that you have an, an, an adversarial opposition which is recognised to, to exist and to need to exist, and that there is always, always adversarial debate about every policy. I, I think that was the moment that it began to change. And rapid response, remember, was very much the technique of the new Labour spin machine uh, during its, its, its really successful years in the, in, in the early part of the, of the Blair period. And so you are getting basically Blairites' uh, news management techniques being taken on by a, a government. Now, it's all political parties can do this if they like. That's, that's it's essentially what they're for. But when government does it, it's entirely different. And it, it's... It, you, you mustn't expect the freedoms of a, of a, of a long, of a long free country 
to be taken away suddenly from tanks to come rumbling down Whitehall and, and military music to be played on the radio. It's not going to happen like that. It will happen in ways like this. Little, faintly concerning, half-exposed things of which we know very little. I think we should worry about this very much because it is so, actually partly because it is so apparently insignificant. It's the salami slicing of freedom. And the whole point of salami slicing is each slice is so small that nobody will worry about it. By the time you finish slicing, you've got the whole sausage. Do you think also there's this concept of the state of emergency or the state of exception? We did an interview with the philosopher Matthew Crawford the other week who was talking about this. That the When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. One size fits all seemed like a good idea for clothes. Nice dress. Uh, it's, a, it's a t-shirt. Until you tried it on. Same goes for your health care. That's why United Healthcare offers a variety of flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. So whether you're between jobs, coming off a parent's plan, or even missed open enrollment, you can find the plan that fits you best. Find out more about United Healthcare coverage at uh1.com. That's uh1.com. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at hellofresh.com. Mechanism by which formerly liberal or formerly properly democratic governments start creeping into this kind of authoritarianism is always under a cover of a, using terms like war against, um, and that justifies you know, setting aside civil liberties and going onto a, a war footing which accidentally sticks around. Do you, do you think that's what happened during COVID? Oh, I think undoubtedly. I think once you have any, any policy where you're, you're claiming that the, the population or the nation are in danger, then you've given yourself a justification to behave much more authoritatively and, and much more ruthlessly than you, you would if that, if that danger didn't exist. Now, it is possible, it's not, that people who want to take on certain powers might exaggerate the danger in which you find ourselves. Again, I found during the New Labour era, the, uh, you, you and I, Dallas, was perturbed about terrorism than anybody else, and I'm, I hate it like poison. But I did not think uh, that it was a pretext for for undermining habeas corpus or the, the general rules of evidence and all the other things which the, the new Labour government did uh, on the pretext of, of, of our being in a war against terror. 
whenever, but whenever you want to do things you, you oughtn't to do, that's why you do them. And there's an old white bull saying, which you'll doubtless have heard, never let a good crisis go to waste. If you've got a crisis, it's a wonderful opportunity to use it as the pretext to do things you've longed to do anyway. And as far as I'm concerned, the government of this country is basically Henry VII's Court of Star Chamber and High Commission trying to get back all the powers that have been taken away from it in the past several hundred years of, of, of reform and liberation. And it's always doing it. It's like bindweed. If you don't constantly keep an eye on it and cut it back, it will get back all the authority it wants. And at the moment, it's getting back an awful lot. Here's the paradox, which perhaps you can explain to me, which is that it's really, it's the people who consider themselves liberal Democrats in some sense, the people who are most opposed to populist parties, who really think of themselves as the grown-ups in the room, the sensible people, who for the past years have been pushing forward with most vigour towards some of these suspensions of the principles of liberal democracy. It's a kind of paradox, isn't it? It is a paradox that a crusty old reactionary like me should be the voice of liberty against the, against the authoritarian liberals. But it has indeed happened, and I think it's happened, as so many other bizarre things have happened, because the, the liberals are now themselves in power. Uh, they weren't bad defenders of liberty when they were out of power. The Guardian, for instance, used to be a very vigilant newspaper about infringements of liberty and, and, and government abuse of, of, of power. Now it isn't, and the reason that it isn't is because its friends are in power. And that's why that's changed. It's also the reason why liberals are stamping around the country being warmongers, because the wars which are being fought are liberal wars, not conservative wars. And so, it, so it's left to what remains of the conservative movement to, to stand up against this. And you'll find an awful lot of the opposition to this comes either from the, uh, the outcast left, the sort of Corbynite left, which has been, been chucked overboard by the Labour Party, or from people such as me on what remains of, uh, of the conservative right. But the, the great liberal consensus, which stretches across so much of society and calls itself centre-left or centre-right, on the assumption that everything that it happens to agree with is the centre, uh, they're not interested terribly, and they're perfectly happy to see this go in. And we saw this during COVID, and we see it now during the Ukraine war. There is no dissent permitted against the Ukraine war. If you dissent against it, you're, you're abused. I'm called daily a Putin apologist and a war crimes denier and all kinds of other stupid slanders because I simply say I don't think this policy is very sensible. Uh, it's a liberal war. Again, it's a, it's, it's a war of the, of, of the modern left, which is completely different from the old left because it's got so much power. So that's interesting. You think the same kind of patterns are now coming in on the Ukraine issue as we saw over COVID, where dissent from the policy is somehow being cast as immoral or dangerous and must be sort of stamped out. It's, if, if you're experiencing it as I am, it's, it's almost identical. The same thing that I was told during COVID, the, the, the things I said were leading to the, the, the deaths of people. Sometimes I, it was actually claimed that I, I directly helped to cause the deaths of, of some tragic individuals. Uh, I, I was called a COVID denier, which is an absurd thing to be called. No one denied the thing existed. And all kinds of other rude names. And now if, if, if you raise the question, of is, the, is the policy of, of, uh, of pursuing a long war against Russia, which is basically the one we're, we're, we're doing now, of escalating the war by sending more weapons into it, is that mistaken? Uh, you're accused of being in favour of, of a Russian victory, uh, which is an absurd jump uh, of, of about a thousand miles from one position to another, but which works. Uh, in, in, in public debate most of the time because you you don't hear the other side. Remember, perhaps you don't remember, I do, being tremendously old, uh, Vietnam, even Suez, country divided 
uh, hugely on big foreign policy issues. And it was perfectly legitimate. Major opposition figures speaking out openly against it. In the end, even the British government saying, no, we're not going to support the United States war effort in Vietnam and how, getting a lot of support from, from the left in Britain and, and a lot of disapproval from the right, which wanted to go in with the Americans. But it was a debate, um, not necessarily totally even-handed, but it was thought legitimate to have different views on it. Now, there's one view, and if you don't hold that, you're a bad person. I speak as that bad person. So where is the anti-war left or right now? I mean, it's, it's yourself, it's a few kind of technology overlords in Silicon Valley who seem, we had David Sachs on this show who, who takes a, a different view, but yeah, the voices are very few and far between. Well, they're there. I mean, it's interesting that the, the RAND Corporation of all people, which is normally associated with sort of ultra hawkish positions in, in American foreign policy, has just produced a report saying that maybe a long war uh, over Ukraine is, is not a good idea. Interesting, it hasn't received much publicity. I only found out about it by accident, uh, but it's there. And I think you'll find that in several of the continental countries, opinion among certain parts of, uh, of, of society is, is very much sceptical. Like France, for example. Well, you notice that I think uh, General de Gaulle's grandson was, was reported today to have spoken out quite firmly against it in ways which I think nobody of his standing would, would uh, dare to do in this country. Also, I, I have a feeling that the United States being what it is, there are probably more voices against it uh, in simply on, 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 the, on the old grounds of why is the United States getting into this expensive and dangerous foreign entanglement than there are in this country, which has always, or certainly for the past couple of hundred years, while it's been an island nation uh, believing itself to be protected by deep salt water and a strong navy, has thought that uh, that getting involved in wars abroad was um, was was quite rewarding and, and something to do. And wars are popular in this country in a way that they aren't in many others. Uh, it's interesting to see how, how how if you if you call for for war and give it some kind of, of, of moral purpose, a lot of people in this country who whose equivalents in, in continental Europe would be would think twice about it are quite keen on it. So there's that too going on. So do you think then, just to be clear as to your position, speaking now, you think it was a mistake to send British tanks? Was it a mistake for us to pressurise the Germans to send their tanks? And I'm guessing you'd be against sending uh, jets and typhoons. Once you've embarked on a policy of, of pursuing a long war in Ukraine, uh, and remember, Leon Panetta, uh, who has been in his time Defence Secretary, uh, Chief of Staff of the White House, and Head of the CIA, has said quite openly, this is actually a proxy war between the United States and Russia, uh, Ukraine is the battleground on which it's taking place. Once you've decided that you want that sort of war, then you're going to have to send more weapons into it. My view is that I don't see from, from the point of view of British patriotism or, or British interests of any kind what our interests are in the long war between the United States and Russia and why we should be taking sides on it. Other people in other countries may have different views of this and, and are entitled to have them. But speaking as a British patriot concerned for the future of this country and its, its, its health, welfare and security, I don't see this as a wise or intelligent policy and, I, and I, therefore I wish to oppose it. Uh, so it's not simply a matter of I'm against tanks. Uh, what I'm in favour of is of the powerful nations of the world trying to, to achieve peace talks uh, so that this is brought to an end. All wars end. Uh, this is a point the RAND Corporation report makes and I, I recommend to you it's quite thoughtful. All wars end. It's a question of how they end and how long it takes to end them. In my view, they could, they could all end more quickly, pretty much, if people were, were, were more sensible. Well, the First World War, which was the, the root of almost all modern evil, could have been ended uh, in early 1917, 
several of the nations involved were in some ways quite keen to do so, but politically it was difficult for them to do so because they whipped up so much support among their own populations for it that it was hard. And because of the delay in ending it, we got the Russian Revolution, we got Lenin, so we got Stalin, and in my view, we got Hitler as well. And if, as um, Aldous Huxley points out in his, in his preface to, to Brave New World, this was one of the most disastrous mistakes in human history. I think that we could be in danger of repeating it. Do you feel like your politics have changed over the past three years, do you think? Well, my politics always change, uh, because the facts always change, but I, the, I, I underwent fundamental shift in politics many years ago, and I haven't diverted from that. I, I guess, I mean, do you have more sympathy for the libertarians than you did three and a half years ago? I don't. Libertarianism is, 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 is an absurdity. You can't make liberty into principle. Uh, liberties conflict with each other. So no, I mean, I, I will align myself with on, on many occasions with people who are standing up for liberty on particular matters, and I will find myself in alliance with some very odd and unexpected people, and, and I've no doubt they find me an unexpected ally as well. But the basic liberties of of freedom of speech, thought, and assembly, and of course of the press, are ones which are not negotiable for me, and I feel them more and more under threat, and I will work with almost any, there are some exceptions, but almost any ally to preserve them. Peter Hitchens, thanks for your time today. My pleasure. That was journalist Peter Hitchens, who as of two or three days ago, we now know, was not only being monitored by agencies within the government, he was actually shadow banned or soft censored by networks, including this one that is YouTube. He drew what is, I think, a little bit of a chilling comparison between the conversation now about Ukraine and what he observed over COVID. Thanks to him and thanks to you for tuning in. This was Unheard. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.